I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. Will Republicans retake the Senate in 2014? What will happen in the House? What's the latest in 2016 presidential politics? People who want to stay ahead of the curve in politics turn to our good friends at the Cook Political Report for answers. For more than 30 years, Charlie Cook and his team have nailed the nation's most important election outcomes and political trends. CBS News' Bob Schieffer calls the report, quote, the Bible of American politics. Nate Silver says few have, quote, a longer track record of success. If you make it your business to know politics, you need to subscribe to the Cook Political Report. Head over to cookpolitical.com slash political wire. That's cookpolitical.com slash political wire to sign up today. And now to our conversation. We're proud to have as our guest today our sponsor, Charlie Cook, editor and publisher of the Cook Political Report and columnist for the National Journal. Few follow the ins and outs of political campaigns more closely than Cook and his team of reporters and editors. And with less than three weeks to go before the new most important election of our lifetimes, they're tracking all the key races and trends in particular, Who will take control of the U.S. Senate? Charlie, thanks for joining me. Two big polls out today, NBC Wall Street Journal and ABC News Washington Post. Do either of them affect how you think things are going? Earlier this week, you said you still see no wave. Do today's polls change that view? Well, I don't think this is a wave election. I think it's a very favorable climate for Republicans. But, but you know, I don't see this as a wave in the sense that uh, 2010 was a wave for Republicans and 2006 was for Democrats and 94 were for Republicans. I don't see it quite on that scale. But the fact is, and, and, the, and these polls, they basically corroborate, I think, what we already saw is that this was a very favorable environment for Republicans. But I think the simple fact is Republicans don't need a wave to get a majority in the Senate. I mean, what they need, what Republicans need, is to get people who normally vote Republican, who live in Republican states, to vote Republican in a very Republican year. And and so this is not, uh, you know, that difficult uh, uh, a, a, a situation. If Republicans needed to pick up a net gain of six seats in the Senate entirely in purple swing states, uh, I don't think, you know, I don't think there's a chance at all that they'd get there. But but we're looking at states that are that range from gimme putts for Republicans to uh, just a very strong natural advantage. So uh, not a wave, but a real good, good environment for them. And one that, um, I, you know, I, I've been saying 60 percent chance of Republicans taking a majority since July and at least 50 50 since March. And I have. Uh, no need to to move off of that point. Very interesting. So, so the the biggest challenge, perhaps, for Republicans, or the biggest need, is you know, can we just get our folks out of bed that morning and and make sure that they get to the polls? Because if so, um, it's a really wonderful way to to outline the reality: uh, Republicans voting, you know, in Republican states for uh, Republican candidates who have a real chance to win. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, this is not, now, I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, the circumstances change enormously in, in 2016 because, you know, while this year Republicans, uh, are benefit from it being a midterm election with, uh, turnout older, wider, more conservative, more Republican, but then you look at 2016 and they're, 
24 Republican seats up then, only 10 Democratic seats, and seven of the Republicans are up in Obama states, and none of the Democrats are up in Romney states, and it's a presidential year, so turnout advantages Democrats, and then 2018, you know, the potential is there for it to flip again with 25 Democratic seats up, and only eight Republican, and five of the Democrats are in Romney states, and one Republican only one Republican is up in an Obama state, and it's a midterm, so the turnout should skew towards towards Republicans. So, you know, the, the fundamentals matter in these things, but you do get into, at the end, at where we are right now, it's just hand-to-hand combat. It's trench warfare, race by race by race, but the fundamentals are still very, very favorable for, for Republicans. So let's talk about that, that trench warfare, and it may be outline for me or, or give me the paradigm in in two fronts one local versus national you know how are these races are the you know you think of these as as local races or at the most you know statewide races of course um but but you know to what extent are local issues taking the lead versus national issues is number one and and the the second you know trajectory that i'm interested in is Domestic versus international. You know, you know. Six months ago, if you and I had spoken, I, I would assume, or or twelve months ago, I would assume we would have spoken about uh, Obamacare. You know, ACA and uh, and jobs. Today, we might still talk about jobs. We might still talk about the economy. But I would also want to be asking you about you know the the politics of Ebola and the politics of fighting ISIS. So the the net, the, the domestic versus international component of these races and the local versus, you know, state, you know, I guess, national component of these races as well. You know, in each race, you can generally, you can clearly tell, you know, who's on which side, because, you know, in Louisiana, for example, Republican Bill Cassidy desperately wants to nationalize the election. He wants to take advantage of a very favorable Republican environment in a Republican-leaning state. Um, you know, Mary Landrew desperately wants it to be a local election about her seniority, who's got more, who could exercise more clout for Louisiana about Louisiana. And you see that replicated in every state. And, and it was the same thing in 2010. And then the shoe was on the other foot in 2006, where the Democrats were desperately trying to nationalize the election and Republicans were trying to, you know, separate themselves from President Bush and, you know, Iraq and Katrina and, and all that. So, um, it, it, you know, each race depends, you know, it's, it's contingent upon who is better able to make their case national versus local. And, um, you know, some are doing a better job than others. Uh, you know, Allison Grimes in Kentucky, for example, is not doing a very good job of, 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 of navigating, uh, navigating that split. Um, maybe Michelle Nunn in Georgia may be doing a little bit better. But in terms of your, 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 your question about national versus international, you know, it, it's, it's safe to say that rarely do Americans vote and vote in midterm elections, particularly on mid, on on anything related to foreign policy, it, it really is rare. And Iraq in 2006 was certainly one of the exceptions to the rule. I, I think this year, um, yes, there is a, an international component, but I think it almost folds more in uh, to to competence and confidence as much as anything else. Is that that very few voters? Uh, you know, we're looking to the low 30s uh, in the national polls of of 
of voters have confidence in President Obama on foreign policy matters. And and so but but the thing is it just is another manifestation of a broader um discord uh with the president uh on economy and and frankly on on uh on the economy as well. So it's more um midterm elections tend to be a referendum on the incumbent president uh more than more this year than in other years uh, foreign policy is is it's a bigger component than it normally is but you know it's impossible to really segment out and say okay domestic is 65% and foreign policy is 35% but you know they're they're both sort of pull in the same direction so I'm not sure it's a distinction with a big difference. Yeah, I, I would assume on the local versus national question and which you want to emphasize it uh, sure depends on, you know, what tell me how popular your part, you know, your president is, you know, is the president in your party? And if you have an unpopular president in your party, I bet like heck you want to make it a local election. And if it's an unpopular president in the other guy's party, I bet like heck you want to make it a national election. It's as predictable as the sun coming up in the <laughs> east. Um <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, it's it, just the way it works. Yeah, it's it's uh, and in your two thousand and six point uh, and and Bush's lack of popularity at that point, uh, you know, only proves you know further what you're saying. Talk to me about Congress's, um, you know, their low levels of approval. They're they're around twelve percent right now, I think, in the uh, NBC Wall Street Journal poll. That's been you know that's been running pretty consistent as well. Just as Obama's low numbers have have been running. In the end, though, does does that matter? Is it all? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I hate Congress. I hate Senate. You know, pox on 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 everyone. But I'm still going to vote for my person. Well, I've I've almost stopped looking at that question, not because it doesn't say something, but it's just totally predictable. That number doesn't move much. Yeah. I mean, you know, on a really bad poll, it's down to eight or nine, and a good one, it's up to fifteen, and it's just it's stuck there and not likely to move. And you know, I'm not sure if I were spending all the money on a national poll, I'd want to chew up one of my questions on something that I knew what the answer was going to be, give or take two <laughs> points. But 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 you know, I think they feel like they have an obligation to do it to do it to do it anyway. But um you know the thing is given that the vast, vast majority of incumbents, and whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they're in seats that are essentially untouchable. And so the 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 national um, you know, the national approval rating for Congress isn't terribly relevant. And the fact is, that even on the generic ballot test, that's not that relevant because only, um, you know, out of a thousand interviews, uh, you know, maybe a hundred are in districts that are even under the large, the widest possible definition of potentially compatible, competitive. Uh, so, um, but, but, you know, people are, are, um, where, where it gets really interesting though, is in the cases of, of high ranking leadership and, you know, Mitch McConnell has, uh, was locked in a dead, even race in Kentucky, you know, for the better part of a year. And, you know, he's now narrowly ahead. Democrats seem to have pulled their advertising, uh, even though it's really pretty close, but I think they think that they they see their money is better spent someplace else. But you know, you've got this mentality that um, of a certain kind of voters that I despise Washington, I loathe Congress. I hear that you're one of the most powerful people in Congress. 
I must hate you most of all. And it's a dynamic that we saw beat Tom Foley as speaker in 1994. Yep. And in what, you know, 2006, I guess it was uh, Tom Daschle in South Dakota. And we saw Harry Reid almost lose in 2010, a bad year for Democrats, but a swing state, uh, but to a very weak, almost lost to a very weak candidate and cost Eric Cantor his primary. So that that's where, where we've got the twist is it's almost like a reverse of judo or jujitsu or something where <laughs> your strength becomes your weakness. The more powerful you are, the more culpable you are. And that uh, McConnell, in a not bad state for Republicans and with an enormous amount of money and a very effective campaign, uh, seems to be withstanding that that dynamic. But it is a very, very strong tide that's out there. The more powerful you are, the more vulnerable potentially you could be. Which which states are you really looking at? Which states do you you know say, you tell me how this state goes and I'll tell you who's going to take control of the Senate? Well, it depends on what, uh, how big a number you'll let me do. If I could, if you, if you said two states, uh, I, I think I might want to, uh, Iowa and Colorado, the Iowa open seat and Colorado Mark Udall. Um, now, you know, here's how I get there. Um, uh, Montana and West Virginia open Democratic seats. They're just gone. Yeah, they're done. And, and, and to be honest, I'm very skeptical about South Dakota. Yes, I know both sides are weighing in with money, but it's a very, very cheap state. Um, and I, I, I would be, and I think Rounds has run an awful campaign and is lethargic and all of that, but I, I would be surprised to see him lose. So I, I'm sort of saying, okay, Republicans start off with picking up those three. And then you get into the other three Democratic states where Romney won by 14 points or more. You know, Mark Begich in Alaska, Mark Pryor in Arkansas, Mary Landrew in Louisiana. You know, of those, Pryor in Arkansas appears to be in the toughest shape. He's not dead. It's close, but but he seems to be in the toughest situation. Mary Landrew probably in the middle. Uh, now, that would go to a December 6th runoff, yep. uh, very likely, but she's probably – but I, I still think it's uphill for her. And the one that, that's, that's most that, – uh, well, I don't want to say most likely because I don't think it's likely. If one of them survives, it's more likely – most likely would be Mark Baggage in Alaska. But even then, I mean, we're talking about uh, somebody who won six years ago over an incumbent that was convicted on corruption charges eight days before the election – with the charges later, later thrown out for prosecutorial misconduct and the incumbent dying in a plane crash. And prior to that, you know, the last time a Democrat won Alaska in a presidential race was 1964 with Lyndon Johnson. The last time one, a Democrat won a House race in Alaska was, was Beckett's dad in 1972. And the last time before two, six years ago, a, a Democrat won a U.S. Senate race was 1974. And so he got elected under truly extraordinary circumstances, and, but that if Republicans had nominated an exotic candidate, and two out of the three Republicans in the primary were exotic, and where Begich's chance of survival would have been very, very good, but instead Republicans nominated Dan Sullivan, who was the most electable of the three. And so it's kind of uphill for Begich as well. So you've got six Democratic seats that aren't gone-gone, but are are very uphill for Democrats individually and collectively. 
And and if Republicans win all six of those, and big if they don't lose any of their own, that's the Senate right there. Yep. You know, before they've won a single purple swing state. Now Pat Roberts is in the fight for his life in Kansas, and um, and it, it's it's the state where there's the most uh, turbulent dynamics between a civil war taking place within the party. Um, brown back against the moderates and Roberts having gone to sleep out there and this weird dynamic of an independent who sure looks and sounds like a Democrat. Um, you know, so that it's, it's, it, and, and we've seen polls all over the place from Roberts ahead by a couple of points to, to, uh, Greg Orman, the independent ahead by a handful of points. And, you know, hard to say what's going to happen there. You know, Georgia's gotten close. I think David Perdue, the Republican, was on the verge of putting it away um, week, week and a half, two weeks ago. But some Nunn attacks, Michelle Nunn attacks on his business record and outsourcing. I think he, they, they they landed some body blows on Purdue, and it's closed back up. And you know, it's definitely in doubt. I still think it's probably would give put a pinky on the finger towards a Republican, just because I don't think the state has improved enough for Democrats. It's not like Virginia. It's not like North Carolina. So it hadn't become a mid-Atlantic state. And um, and then we talked about Kentucky already. Uh, so uh, then. So you've got Iowa, Colorado as the two purple states that are really teetering on the edge. But if you ask the question, who seems to have the momentum? Where has been the force in the last couple of weeks? And I think you'd have to say Republicans in both cases, but they're both extremely close. And then finally, Republicans are, they just sunk six million or in a process of sinking six million into North Carolina. Uh, where they think that um, they know they're down, down a few points, but they think they can move the needle, and that's where some of the um, 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 and 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 then um, they're doing another week into North into excuse me New Hampshire uh, with Scott Brown just to see if they can move the numbers there, move the needle a little bit, and Michigan, you know, they're they're pretty much pulled out on that one. So, you know, it's this triage time with each party sort of um, separating the people that they think are going to win no matter what from the people that are probably going to die no matter what, and where does the money most optimally spent. And the states that you are identifying, some some interesting polls uh, just today, and, and, you know, these are state-by-state polls, and, you know, they're they're all still very close, but CNN or ORC, you know, has Cory Gardner up in Colorado, 50 to 46, Quinnipiac, um, you know, just came out from for Iowa and has Joni Ernst up 47, 45, uh, um, New England College poll, New Hampshire, uh, you know, Scott Brown up just 48, 47 over Shaheen. You know, it's really only a recent one in, in, you know, Survey USA poll in Georgia has Michelle Nunn up and, and you mentioned some of her attack ads on David Perdue, uh, up 48, 45. Obviously, each one of these very, very close and with the, you know, plus or minus, they could go either way. But, but to your point, when you look at those first six, 
that, you know, just if they get all, if Republicans get all six of those, you know, we have nothing more to talk about. Even if they were to lose one of those or were to lose Kansas and, and so needed to come up in one other place, you've got three or four, you know, five, maybe if you throw in North Carolina as well, although Hagan does seem to be, you know, a little bit stronger there than uh, Democrats in other states. But you, you, you sure have three or four other states where, you know, you know, at that, at that razor's edge, uh, it feels like it might be going, uh, Republican. I guess that just has to put you, you know, in in the zone where you come out to about that, you know, sixty percent probability in 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 your mind. Am, am I kind of doing the math right? Yeah. No, I think that's right. I think, you know, we have to resist the temptation of putting too much emphasis on the single most recent poll because seventy five eighty percent of the polls we see are not really high quality surveys um you know that was so it was extraordinary the des moines register poll is one of the last remaining statewide polls in the country where it's a real honest to god polling firm doing live interviews i mean doing it for real and almost every state used to have these high quality statewide surveys and now very very few do and most of these are sort of dime store polls that um, you have to look at a whole bunch of them before you draw conclusions. And I, 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 I'm, I'm tempted when I look at a whole bunch of, of these kinds of polls in a state to sort of use the Olympic scoring method, throw out the high one, throw out the low one. They're likely to be outliers and average the others. Um, but, 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 you know, the temptation to go with whatever is the most recent um, is, is one that you have to sort of resist, but you do have to sort of follow the arrow. Uh, is there a general direction? Are you seeing a trend there? And that's, um, you know, that's what I would point people towards. But there, there's not a lot that would give Democrats a lot of solace. Uh, I, I'd say the one thing, the one thing, you know, if Democrats had to sort of hold out their hope of hopes is, you know, can this uh, ground game that uh, the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee is doing, uh, can it really make a difference? And the old rule of thumb used to be that a, a strong ground game could make maybe two points worth of difference in an outcome in a race. Um, I don't think it's ever been definitively proven, but that was sort of the rule of thumb is can can Democrats do that? But do that for the most part in states where there was no Obama campaign, states that generally have never had a, a, a highly sophisticated get out the vote, technologically advanced get out the vote operation, and for states that are not charismatic, inspirational, aspirational candidates like Barack Obama. You know, can you, you know, getting out a strong, say, minority and young vote for Kay Hagan isn't the same as for Barack Obama or, or Mary Landrieu or Mark Pryor. I mean, these are just not, not, you know, these are big, big, big challenges. And so if you were, you're a Democrat getting on your knees in the morning, you know, at night, uh, Saying your prayers, uh, I I think the, if I could, if I if I were a Democrat and focusing my prayers on one thing, I'd pray that the ground game could make a difference because it's it's hard to see what other options uh, are are likely to work. That is, that is so funny. And I was going to ask you, say, you know, I know you're not the, uh, you know, you may not be in the advisory business, but if you were going to uh, advise Democrats or or give them something, you know, just you know, boy, you know, if you're just going to do one thing or two things. Do this. Um, I guess I just got my answer. Uh, you know, yeah, say, and, say and, your prayers. And the thing is, I, I do think we, 
you know, having done this for 30 years, you see sort of the state of the art uh, swing from state to from from one side to the other. And you know, in 2004, Karl Rove put together uh, just a phenomenal ground game for the uh, for the Bush Cheney reelect, and and then that. Uh, largely atrophied in the Republican Party for the next eight years. Um, and at the same time, you know, the Obama campaign sort of took some of the things that the Howard Dean campaign and the the John Kerry campaign and put it on steroids and blew it out in 08 and 12, so that right now uh, the state of the art in terms of voter identification, get out the vote, is it's it's clearly on the Repu- on the on the Democratic side, and the question is, can that really make a difference in in a midterm election when the electorate's older and whiter and more conservative, more Republican by nature? And you know, we'll see. Uh, I I do think that we are going through a phase larger than just the technology and mechanics where. I, I, I think Democrats are a little bit better at doing this game than Republicans are overall. That that just on a strategic sense, and you look at the Obama campaign versus the Romney campaign, and say, okay, who who was the chess master there? And 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 I, I think you know clearly you would say the Obama campaign. And I think that campaign sort of spawned some awfully, awfully, awfully sharp operatives. And the Republicans are trying to kind of play catch up in this game. And they've got some really bright, talented people, but uh, they're, they're not as deep and they don't have as much of a bench as, as, as Democrats do in this area. So that's why these fundamentals being so favorable to Republicans are awfully important, because if it was just an absolutely level playing field, I think we'd be having a very different discussion. Well, we will continue to watch the fundamentals. We will watch uh, to what extent the Republican operatives have learned lessons from uh, the previous campaigns and, and you know, whether they can uh, continue to keep the momentum and uh, perhaps even take the Senate. Charlie Cook is the editor and publisher of the Cook Political Report, columnist for National Journal. Charlie, we will be following uh, your advice and your insights and your guidance uh, over the next weeks. And obviously, after that, as we go into 2016, thank you, uh, as always, uh, for your time um, and and your ideas. And you should have added an a- a avid reader of the political wire. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, that's terrific. We will we'll, we'll take it, and uh, uh, we we appreciate all the support that that you give, uh, Charlie Cook, the Cook Political Report. I'm Chris Reback. This is Political Wire Conversations. <laughs>